The car you drive every day should be fun. But it has to do the boring stuff too, like commute, be affordable, and haul your groceries. You can have both, and we'll help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Today. Weren't we just talking about this? About spin-off films from <laughs> Fast and the Furious? Yes. I feel like we if were you, just you, mentioning this. We were just mentioning it. Here's the thing you may not realize if you're listening to this podcast. This is coming out on a Friday, but they were recorded just due to schedule back-to-back. One, the Tuesday of this week, was recorded on Sunday night, and we said, <laughs> Fast and Furious spin-offs are coming. Monday, when we're recording this one for Friday... It was all over the news. Fast and Furious spinoffs are coming. I swear to you that we did not get any advance notice. We were just this riffing about it. But but here we are. Yes. So The Rock and Jason Statham are going to have a spinoff supposedly actually shot a joke scene that was at the end of Fast and Furious 8 post-credits, which is something that series has done a lot of, until Vin Diesel, one of the producers, saw it and said, that's not going in there, and he killed it. But clearly that means they are thinking this way, and uh, yeah, I still think there's a ludicrous movie in there. I also think, because, I mean, this is this is development. This is development. There's also oh a, a, a movie for Michelle Rodriguez and the female hacker. They go do a girl heist, all-girl FF movie. That's oh going to happen too. Oh my gosh, you're right. You know it will. This you is know these it. Are, these are the development discussions that are happening. And I guarantee you, in those development meetings, the term is being thrown around, well, in this universe. And it's being thrown around very seriously. In the Fast and Furious universe, which we've covered last time, has no actual physics. So you can do whatever you want. Uh, yeah. In this universe, Paul, oh, that's what's gosh. happening. I, I mm-hmm. have heard enough of this and, and been educated enough by you now that I'm starting to hear development meetings. And I think I heard one when watching the movie. <laughs> Thinking yeah. to myself, all right, I, I know how that scene got made because, wow, it was I, – I don't care. Just make it happen. It was – all those cars, <laughs> yeah, th- this is what we want. It's got to match the script. I, I don't care. Just make it happen. Yeah, yeah. Ay, ay, ay. Anyway, what fun development meetings must be. I, uh, well, you know, it's a bunch of people sitting around proving why they get their paycheck. Oh. I'm not necessarily proving well, but proving why they get their paycheck. <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. And prior uh, previews in movies, we'll see, you know, you mentioned, oh, that has a lot of Lord of the Rings influence. And that has. Oh, yeah. You oh, can yeah, yeah. see it. You know, it's like. Oh, of course. Hey, this was this recipe. Let's try something similar. And well, we got to make money. I what happened, though, you're referencing something I'd almost forgot about until you mentioned this. Before the Fast and Furious movie, they ran a trailer for the upcoming King Arthur movie. Yeah. yeah. Okay? Yeah. That's and what I was thinking. that King Arthur movie has a scene that takes place at night, which is Helm's Deep from Lord of the Rings, but happens to have <laughs> giant elephants in it, which is... <laughs> It's the Battle of Minas Tirith at the end of the third Lord of the Rings film. I don't remember the Arthur legend very well. I don't. I admit I don't. But I don't think it had giant warring elephants. I'm just saying. I don't think now that was part of the, the Arthur legend. But See, now, courtesy meetings. of development meetings and and Lord of the Rings success, you will have your giant marauding elephants used as war machines in your new King Arthur movie because, honestly, why not? I mean, that's really what it needs. Anything we want. CG mm-hmm. is fantastic, and we can have anything we want, and it'll yep. do anything and look like anything. So It's frightening. Yes. It's all on the table. So, obviously, we talk a lot about taking good care of your car. I mean, we joke with you about certified oh, yeah. Paul-owned and stuff. But, you know, <laughs> there's various people for everybody that's listening. Some of you are only under warranty and never work on your car. Some of you are taking engines out for fun. But I will say this. If you're taking care of your car at all, we recommend it. You've got to worry about your oil changes. However, here's the big weird thing about oil changes. You and I have talked about this. Mm. 
the 3,000 miles you have to do your oil change. Everybody seems to know that. Even if you don't know much about cars, every 3,000 miles you get your oil changed. Um, no, you don't. Yeah, it's that's, down to what your manufacturer says. Absolutely. I feel like that's more of a marketing gimmick than anything. You should look at the manufacturer's recommendation in your owner's manual for every car. It doesn't matter what you have, mm-hmm. but you should look yep. at that recommendation and then you should use AMSOIL because their mm-hmm. synthetic oils give you 75% more engine protection against horsepower loss and wear than the industry standard requires, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, talk about finding a bar and, and exceeding it. Uh, I'm not sure how that test is done. No but, kidding. I mean, they're even talking about how their signature series oil can last up to 25,000 miles. Don't do that, by the way. Whatever your manufacturer <laughs> recommendation is, exactly. it's not 25,000 miles. So that means this oil is outlasting that, which is awesome from a protection perspective. Absolutely. And they have the manufacturer recommendations for the Porsche A40 standard which is fantastic. <laughs> I mean, you brought it back to Porsche. Of course you did. I, yes, I had to, to throw that in, in there. Of course you did. Amsoil yeah. are friends and sponsors of the show because they're obsessed with quality just like Todd and I are. You've heard Todd and mm. I talk about the quality that we go to and the lengths that we go to for just the filmmaking procedures. Well, that's why Amsoil is part of our show now. Yeah, and as, as you're looking for uh, your car, you want to know what oil to use, they've got a great website, amsoil.com. You can look up your specific car. They'll say this specific oil. Any independent mechanic can do it for you, or if you're DIY, you do it yourself. That's an even better way to get your Amsoil. Yeah, they're making so it easy. So definitely pursue them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Amsoil devoted to protection and uh, with us here on the show, which is even better. All right. Well, we should jump right into our debates here. We've got two really unique ones. We have we do, shopped yeah. for mothers before, but Blake has written to us <laughs> asking for our help because his mother is – I think she's beside herself. I'm sensing conniption fit here. She's yes. had a 2014 Jeep Cherokee, and it sounds like she's already gotten rid of it. And asking Blake for help, who's asking us for help, and he's in a big hurry because it sounds like she's very close to getting she's something currently we shopping. to her wrong. Yes. yes, she's currently shopping. But what I think about this is, you know, we've had mom discussions before. And look, I, I get this. We've had all kinds of discussions. We've had minivan discussions and Prius discussions and all kinds of things that oh, aren't yes. necessarily the enthusiast bent that Paul and I have. Because obviously there's plenty of you out there that have that kind of driving life. And, you know, a lot of times moms are just, here's my mom's list of requirements. But Blake's mom seems to have a little bit of a hooning gene in her, because <laughs> a the, hooning gene. I, you're, I don't know. You're identifying something I'm unfamiliar with. There, well, you Do know, tell. I'm sure some sort of DNA analyst could describe it. But 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 there's a, there's a thing here where a lot of the cars he's pushed her toward. Like for example, she's coming out of this Jeep Cherokee. Uh, she used to have a Nissan Juke, but of course she kind of feels like she's moved on from the Juke. She wants something else. Blake said, "All right, all right." What about the new uh, Mazda CX-5, which we recommend a lot? And she said, too slow. She drove it. Said, too slow. Hmm. She drove the new Honda (laughs) CR-V. Said, too slow. So she's wanting some genuine punch, which is what I'm finding funny. This is not just, I'd like a small SUV hatchback. It's this CUV world we talked about. But this has to have some some (laughs) power, some grunt and personality, which I did not expect from this discussion. Agreed. All right. So Blake said she's open to cars that have all-wheel drive. He immediately thought of the Golf R, which she loved, but he's hesitant about it Mm -hmm. because of the R had some injector problems. I guess his friends have some stock GTI and Golf R cars with engine problems, injector problems, Mm -hmm. and VW finally corrected it. Okay. I mean – I hate to say this, but at some point, maybe, every car kind of has its thing, whatever yeah. that is. 
But I, he's specifically uh, looking around his world and realizing yes. the people that he knows with GTIs and Golf R's are all struggling through issues. So that makes him really reluctant to say, yeah, mom, get one of those cars because her Cherokee has been plagued with issues. So she wants something that isn't going to do that. And he's worried about guiding her into something else that as much as she might like it will just have problems. All right. All right. I get it. Well, he's asking for a hatchback or CUV, automatic transmission, mm-hmm. all-wheel drive, and fast. Yep. Yep. Fast for your mom. I like that, Blake. I do too. I do too. Yeah. I, I'm really intrigued by this. Okay. So I start thinking about fast and that leads me to mm-hmm. turbochargers. All right. Yep. Yep. So I think, all right, something small, fairly lightweight. I thought of the first generation Acura RDX SUV. First gen came hmm. from 2007 to 2012 okay. with an inline four turbocharged engine. Yeah. Thought, yeah. this is intriguing. This is kind of a starting place. And that, of course, led me to the current, the second generation, Acura RDX, a 2017, starts at $35,000, which is just okay. under Blake's mom's budget of 38000 or less. Yep, I noticed However, that. However, this new RDX, they have left the turbocharging behind, and Honda doesn't do the turbocharging thing for their gasoline engines very often. It was a bit of a rare beast in this first-gen RDX. So the mm-hmm. second-gen has a V6 now, back to natural aspiration, back yeah. to the V6, starting at 35K. That's intriguing to me. It's got nearly 300 horsepower, not quite, but almost. But mm-hmm. it's going to make its power differently. It's not going to be the turbo punch right off the line, but we'll have to see. It might be interesting when you get into the power there. She yeah. might like the yeah. fast part of that. Okay, so RDX, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards the second gen, a, a brand new one. Maybe it's a 2016 and you save a little bit of money somewhere okay. in there. Okay. Right. Yeah. So that led me to what else is turbocharged, smallish? I'm really wondering if you're going to wind up my almost sniper shot. <laughs> I'm really wondering if we're going to wind up the same place. Keep I've going. got two more. I've got two more to suggest. Okay. okay. I've got the Audi Q5. On here, all right. On my list. Yeah. Now, you might look at the specs and think it's down on power, but the way the car is geared, interestingly, makes it jump right off the line. It's actually mm-hmm. pretty spry, okay. okay, and quite a bit of space in this car. I, I feel like this could be a really good contender. Again, make it a couple years old, and that'll fit right into your thirty-eight thousand dollars budget. Mm-hmm. This is pretty interesting. Like I said, it, it sounds like it's going to be down on power, but you have to go drive this, Blake. Blake's mom. Hi, Blake's mom. I know you're listening. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> so go drive the Q5. And then me being me, I had to push on your budget, of course, Blake. Oh, yes. Shocking. <clears throat> yeah, all, all, of, all of you that are surprised could turn off the podcast now. And knowing that you're all still with us, we'll keep going. Are you ready for the AMG GLA 45? There it is. Was that there your sniper is. shot? That is pretty much my sniper shot. Problem because is, we started 45 grand. With, like, well, but used. but I looked, but I but no, looked. I looked. What did you I, find? I what did you find? Yes, yes, I found a half dozen or so. <laughs> I was like between six and ten of them, all under forty. You're kidding me. And I found, uh, I think it was four or five. I looked nationwide. Found four or five that were 38, 30, like six, five to 38. There you go. Blake's mom, I think a GLA 45 is in your future because I these think that's, are yes. fast. Yes. Done. I, I, that is actually, 
I wanted to, I'm going to mention my other one that I think is a contender here, but my sniper shot is that one. <laughs> I, that, that was, it's, I read this story and I kind of thought about it for a few minutes and then I, I saw the golf R discussion and, you know, I, I thought, wait a minute, okay, what works? And then, I went, and then I went online and I just went, could it be possible? Could 38 grand pull off one of those GLAs? And then I found like a page worth, like a, wow. like, like a list of like a dozen of them. And I went, there it is, done, GLA. AMG 45. Wow. You know, it's got it's got class about it. It's got a decent interior. You can tell in the interior places where you go, oh, this is why this is not as expensive. I'm surprised they are losing their value as fast as they are, but I think that may be a benefit in this discussion. It is for your budget for sure. Absolutely. Yes. I, I think <laughs> the other one I was going to bring up, the other one I was going to bring up is the Cayenne S because you could get one. You may go back a bit, but you could get a Cayenne S, 400-something horsepower. That is not a slow car. That is a much bigger beast. The stuff she's talked about has all been smaller than the Cayenne scale. Of course, the Macan would be a contender here. If they dropped enough, they're hard to find below 40, very hard to find below 40. And the AMG, I feel like, is almost more of a competitor to something like the Golf R than it is to something like the Cayenne. Mm -hmm. So once we started talking Golf R, I I went, okay, all right. (laughs) So I'm right there with you, man. That is my – I'm going to call that as the sniper shot. As much as I think the Cayenne is a contender, the Macan's a contender, I think, yes, GLA, AMG, 45, Blake's mom, tell us when you've driven one because I bet you, A, it's fast enough, and B, it works. I think so, too. Blake's mom, I think you're going to gain all kinds of cred instantly. I think you're going to be rolling heavy. Everybody's going to be digging your car. So Look I out. Think Here comes Blake's it. mom. And and actually, you know I think it made one of those things where Blake starts driving and going, how much was this? When, when can I have this? <laughs> how can I? Where, mom, can I borrow your car? Yeah, yes, that's going to happen. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Not a sentence you hear from grown men often, but mom, can I borrow your car is going to be resonating through their household. I love that. So let us know what you think of that. I, I had a feeling you and I might go at the same place. But once I landed there, I thought, yeah, that's the answer. Very funny. All right. Well, I like solving stuff immediately. I feel like we've solved that. Blake's mom, <laughs> I feel like we've solved it. We just tied that up. There. there we go. Done. Thank you for writing in. Appreciate it. And scene. Yep. I keep teasing you when whenever you sell a car or a car comes up for sale. Oh <laughs> uh, yes. CPO means something different on this program. CPO on this program is not certified pre-owned. It's certified Paul owned because I'm telling you if Paul is ever selling a car, that's the version you want to buy because it's pristine. Well, it's because car c- cover your car. Keep it nice. Well, yeah, that's I'm true. a huge that's believer true. in this. I mean, we're talking about if you don't have a garage, or the car has to stay outside, or you have too many cars. Mm -hmm. There's some of you listening that have too many cars, by the way. Yep, and one winds up outside, and what do you do? You have to cover it. If you're in any kind of weather or that car, especially sits outside all the time, you've got to cover it just to keep it nice. Certainly if you're trying to compete with Paul, you're going to have to have a cover. (laughs) Well, Covercraft has the car covers that not only fit your make and model, but they've got different fabric selections depending on whether it's going to sit outside in sun-baked California or Arizona kind of weather or the snowy (laughs) Utah weather that we've got here. They've got a range of fabrics there from Kimberly Clark all the way to lightweight indoor protection stuff, pickup trucks. They've got sunshades as well, which I'm a big believer Mm -hmm. in. They fit perfectly because, again, they're tailored for your car. And they've got dash mats as well. Go to Covercraft.com and use the code DEBATE at checkout for free shipping in the continental U.S. 
All right, so our next debate is for Adam in Bellevue, Washington, mm-hmm. who wrote to us and said he thought we might enjoy this, and you're right, Adam. I really enjoyed reading this. Todd did, too. This is pretty rare because often we don't get into the collector car kinds of discussion. We want mm-hmm. cars that we're going to enjoy and drive, but we never really talk um, talk about them in terms of a collector status. We have talked about cars in terms of what are what cars do we think are going to rise in value in the future? What cars do we think are going to you know the value is going to start to go back the other direction? Interesting, yeah. not practical or reality for most of us, but for Adam and his wife, this is a reality. Adam has gotten into an agreement with his wife. He can get one <laughs> and only one yeah. collector car, air quotes, collector car, token. So he's cashing it in and writing to us and saying, what one should I get? Now, we've got to define this because yeah, this does do. not mean we the do. hyper expensive, go to an auction, you know, spend a, you know, well over 100000 or 200000 or more on this collector mm-hmm. car. This means for his budget – 30 and he's capping me at 40k here. <laughs> so noticed that, did you? This. Yeah. Oh yes, yeah. I noticed. He's also not in a big hurry, which is great. So he wants to get something again, keep the price lower, but could it possibly go in the other direction because they've got cars already the list you sent the things you're considering, cars you've owned, and a list of <laughs> motorcycles. I don't think any enthusiast has written to us Owning more motorcycles than you do. Four, eight, nine bikes? Yeah. Or no, three of them are current, but you've owned nine of these. Unbelievable. Two Ducatis and a Kawasaki. I'm amazed. All right. So back to this cool car and you're cashing in your token here. Top of his list is a 944 Turbo or a BMW Z3 M Coupe. The shoe. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. yeah, the clown shoe, the the classic <laughs> clown shoe that is the love it or hate it Z3, which I actually like quite a bit personally. I don't know what that says about my taste, but I do a lot of questionable well, taste things. So right? yeah, if but, it could go well, orange. hey, and if it doesn't, somebody would wrap it in orange for me because hey. we all know that's where I'm headed. So, but that is it's an interest, but it is a love it or hate it car, styling wise, and uh, and that, I find it fascinating. Those are his two lead cars because I wouldn't have put either of those cars on this list. It got me thinking, uh, but. I, I yeah. don't I don't I don't think the answer is either of those for a couple of reasons, but uh this is still a fascinating thing to discuss. I have three I've thought up uh, I've that got, I really I really like, actually. I've got five, but two of them are slightly goofy, let's put it that way. But I want to start okay. there. By the okay. way, Adam's proclivities are that he might want to track it, he might want to vintage race it. And he runs to the lightweight, the agile cars. He's looked at the mm-hmm. S3 or S4 Lotus Alans. He's liked – he's not necessarily a fan of the American muscle cars, anything flashy, something like that. So more European, more Japanese, nimble. Okay, so think small, lightweight, nimble, all that Definitely. stuff. Yeah. All right? Yeah. So here we go. And, <laughs> and, well, here's the, here's the big factor. The fact, the fact that this car doesn't have to do anything. Right. That, that right. has restrictions. Maybe he'll track it, but maybe he won't. Maybe he'll just drive it for fun. Right. He, he would right. like it to run, and over the course of him owning it, it at least holds its value and hopefully gains its value, which was a big factor for me in my discussion. So I'm very curious to know what your thoughts are. I'm going to work backwards on my list because I think it'll be better backwards. Okay. Uh, everyone, newsflash, 1997 Lotus Esprit Twin Turbo V8s are now $40,000. 
Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Got me there. Yeah. What do you think okay. about that? Uh, intriguing. Really intriguing. I don't. I don't know about the long-term value of that car, but I, don't know. I also kind of wonder if they've hit their floor for a while. I kind of wonder the same thing. So I started there, okay? I'm going to keep you thinking. With 1995, Ferrari 456 GTs are $40,000. Hmm. Okay. Now, you might... Call that goofy. You might write All right. me off. It's, it's, well, what, there's the, caveat, the issue, caveat. The <laughs> issue there is not the buying. The issue there is the owning. Yes. Oh, yes. It is the what did this cost me this month, honey. So that's actually something that he didn't tell us. Because <laughs> uh, here's the thing he didn't tell us, Adam, that is that it actually your, your wife may not have thought of. So you have this one collector car token. What's the uh, what's the maintenance cost restriction on that one token? Because uh, right. she might decide to give you a different token if you'll just get that hole in our garage out. Right. You might have a car for a year, and after it bleeds all its oil out for the 45th time, she goes, you know what? Take a new token, and that car must go. Exactly. Who knows? What we haven't been told that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Continuing on to 1992 Porsche 968s. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Starting to get more back in the realm of possibility here. Of course, that led me to 928s. Late 80s or early 90s, Porsche 928s. Until you drive one, you can't tell me anything about these cars because <laughs> I love them. They're gorgeous, in my opinion. They're nimbler than you think they are, and I I love these cars. Now, they're a GT car. They're not necessarily the vintage race car. 928s have been raced quite a bit. Sure. Um, interesting. Worth a look. Worth a drive. Okay. But that's not where I'm ending up. Adam, I think you should spend more. <laughs> wait. Wait. But, hang on. I need to catch up. No, wait. I'm caught up. That, that doesn't surprise me at all. Keep going. But I did find you a 1991 Acura NSX manual transmission in Atlanta, Georgia for $33,000. $33,932. So – Call it 34000 mm. I think you should actually spend more and get a slightly better used Acura NSX. Of the cars that I think on this list are going to go the other direction, I think it's the NSX. I think a nice one, and you'll enjoy it. You can do everything you want with it, and I don't think it's going to be a money pit. I really don't. So therefore, I think buy a better one with lower miles and better yeah. condition and yeah. – I'm thinking Acura NSX. I think you would dig that car. Honestly. I like this. I like this. Okay. That's where I ended um, up. I like that a lot, actually. And I think that would be a good choice for Adam. What I'm finding most surprising about your list, I don't have one duplicate. This is I have great. Three, I have three cars, and I didn't think of any of the ones you thought of. This is great. Here, I'm very curious. Here, yeah. Here, here's the two things that really informed me, Adam. And, and my first of the three I want to bring up because – because of the the value proposition, because I don't think it's going to go down at all, but I think it is the least of your of, of the least match to what you want. The big things you're talking about is light, classic light. Uh, you know, it's going to be European or Japanese, but really classic light handling, and you want the value of it to stay or go up. And as much as I like the 944 Turbo and the Z3 Clown Shoe you've brought up, <laughs> I don't know if there's a place where those cars start really going back up. Maybe, maybe, maybe. incrementally, but I, I think I think 
thinking about it in those terms, I thought there are better options. So one of the ones I was shocked to find at this budget, which is 40K at the most. They aren't common. They are high miles. But you could find a 90s Supra, the last Ooh. Turbo Supra. You could find one of those. I found a handful. I had to look nationwide, but I found a handful that are out there. These are all over 100,000 miles, but they're all stock. Yeah, yeah. That car in a non-modified form is practically a rolling unicorn. So Agreed. It hasn't one been of fasted those, and furioused. Exactly. In any, in any of the eight movies or the place where it goes beyond physics. One of those movies exactly. should have just been called Fast and the Furious Beyond Physics. That would have really covered what Stop we're doing. Stop giving them gold. They're already making ten more of these movies. Stop. You know it. <laughs> we're, and spinoffs and all kinds of fun. Clearly, they're listening to us. That's definitely happening. Right, right. right. That's uh, what I yeah. thought. Uh-huh. But, but these high miles but 90 Supras, the turbos, everybody loves these cars. They are an icon. I don't think their prices are going anywhere. And that's a really cool car. Now, I don't think it's as light and agile as some of the cars you brought up, which leads me to my two favorites, both of which I think are better than the 944 and the Z3 for what you want okay. and will hold their value better. All right. And and like you, I'm surprised these cars exist out there. But first off, I have to say, you're talking 944. Paul's brought up some other good Porsche options. But why on earth are we not talking 911? Agreed. Because, I, okay. because the thing about the 911... If you're going to talk about cars that are icon cars in the Porsche lineup that will hang on to their value, the 911 will do a better job over time than any of the rest of their models because it's the 911. Mm. So that's a consideration. And I looked. I looked at forty grand. Now, the 911s, I still want to say, are generally a little overpriced, but they aren't as insane as they were even two years ago. The market has rolled off a bit. If you have a pristine nine, uh, 993 turbo, you can still get a million dollars or madness, okay? But the more normal ones, that. the more normal ones have rolled off to more normal, almost you can see normal from here pricing. At 40 grand, I found, I'm not kidding you, SCs, which are late 70s, early 80s. I found Carreras, which are late 80s. I found 964s, which are late 80s, early 90s. I even found a base Carrera 993 right at 40. Surely I've got 40 grand laying around somewhere I can go get one of these No cars. kidding. Now, so you're not going to get the most pristine, best one ever made, but those, those 80, let's just stay in the 80s. Those 80s 911s are nimble and fun to drive. Their prices are probably just going to stay rock solid or keep going up. We're in the air-cooled era. That is the Porsche to buy if, you're, if you have an interest in this light, nimble handling and will it hold its value. Go buy yourself a 911. Uh, unless the market completely tanks, like globally, that's probably <laughs> going to hang on to its, its, mar- its market I value the so. best. Yeah. So that 911. And then I have to say it, also surprising at this price because you can find them for 100 grand, but an E30, a first-gen M3. Found a few of those too. Yeah. Good car. Good Either car. of these cars, the M3 or the 911, you could track that. You could just cruise in it. Either one is fully respected. That car is going to be fun. It's going to feel light because it is a car from another era. It's going to feel lighter than that Super even because it's just a car from a different era. Question, so, though, can you find them for that price, for his price range, though? E30 M3, I found a few. Yeah, I Did found you? a few. Like, okay. like the 911, I found a few. Now, okay. you can go nuts. I mean, yeah, you can quickly go, that's the M3 I want. Oh, look, it's 80 grand. That can happen. Right, right. The same thing with the 911s. But they are out there, these E30 M3s. They're the ones that are the drivers, the ones that people have driven. They have got miles on them, but they still look great. 
<laughs> so those are my two for you, man. Look at an old classic 911. Look at an old classic E30 M3. The prices on those aren't going anywhere. You want to go a bit bigger in Japanese? Supra, turbo, and I'm out. <laughs> All right, Adam. You've got some deciding to do here. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for what you get, you're going to buy. And uh, Agreed. We're just all over the solutions for this podcast. We're just all <laughs> this, over it. This is I, like I the truncated pro- podcast. So does it uh, a question? We have an answer. And onward. Yeah. Onwards. Moving onwards. And speaking of onwards, questions, again, thank you for the m- massively great questions here. I just want to dive right in again. Great. Because we're talking about BMWs already, Salito is asking about how we feel about BMWs' future in regards to them ditching their dual-clutch transmissions, and manual gearboxes for traditional automatic in their M cars. Yep. Did you read yep. this question? This is Well, this has been big news the last few days. This, mm-hmm. I've seen it kind of percolate up on multiple different car sites. BMW saying that essentially they don't see their dual-clutch, which behind the PDK is one of the better dual-clutches out there that real people will drive. I mean, you can talk McLarens, you can talk Ferraris. How many of us globally are going to really end up driving and owning one of those cars? But you could get into a Porsche with a PDK. You could get into a BMW with a DCT. These are great dual-clutch transmissions. And BMW is saying, eh, we don't know that it survives. They, yeah. They're leaning on that great ZF 8-speed gearbox and going, look at how awesome it is, which we admit is awesome. But that to kill both manuals and dual clutches, that says we're we're not really worried about the enthusiast angle as much as we are the prestige angle. I'm worried about this, to be honest, because BMW is claiming it'll sell whatever customers will buy, which is pretty much every car company's mantra, right? Yeah, you would hope so. But they've they've cornered themselves in the marketplace as being the last bastion of enthusiast cars with manual transmissions that you can buy brand new. Mm. And this concerns me. Yeah, I, I see that. I'm I see that. frankly worried about it because Mercedes is a great example. As much as we like the Mercedes, none of them come in an You're right. uh, or in a manual transmission. They're all automatics. You're right. You're right. Okay, uh, does that mean they're just wanting to go to more power and therefore the automatics can handle more torque, more power, all that kind of stuff? Are they taking a page out of the AMG playbook by doing this? Mm. Who mm. knows? But the product planners are up to no good in my opinion and therefore <laughs> buy your manual transmission BMWs now, You're, one. They're up to no good. <laughs> because if these are <laughs> non-car enthusiasts running the show there, which I hate to think that there are, but – it does exist at every car company on the planet. Yeah. It's just a job, and they're trying to plan what customers will buy, and they just happen to build cars. I, there's got to be the, the German Bob Lutz, the German equivalent mm. that will throw mm. sharp elbows and save BMW <laughs> from this madness. Bob Lutz, throwing sharp elbows for an entire career. There's his T-shirt. Yeah. yeah. I'm serious. Well, I'm just – I mean, we drove the Alpha. The new mm-hmm. uh, the Julia Quadrifoglio. Yes, yes. Manual transmission doesn't come to North America. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm concerned about this. I hope cooler heads prevail, to be honest. I hope something, somebody says, you know what? We should still do this. Porsche, as brilliant as the PDK is, they were screamed at by enthusiasts for the mm-hmm. next-gen GT3. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, they're listening to their customers, and that's – the biggest thing these car companies need to do is listen to our enthusiast, 
you know, the small we ragtag so. band that we are, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the <sighs> thing is that BMW is is doing well from a product planning, let's sell cars standpoint. They aren't as big a boy. You've talked about it before. They aren't a big, as big a boy as Mercedes or Volkswagen by any means. And yet they have great sales numbers compared to their size. So they've figured out, even though we make fun of them for all of their niche or hyper niche or hyper hyper niche vehicles, they are figuring it out as far as what mass market sells. But my concern, and it speaks to this transmission discussion and just the brand in general, everybody still thinks of them by their old, not current, old tagline, the ultimate driving machine. Right. That, mm-hmm. is, in the, that is the personality of that brand. So can, can that personality survive this shift? And if it doesn't hmm. survive this shift, what is now the personality of BMW? I mean, they're talking about how the next slash current one series is a front wheel drive now. Again, BMW leaving the traditions of their brand. So it starts to make me ask, what what is BMW in the market? What is their thing if they aren't as concerned about being great to drive driving machines? If you drive an Audi and a BMW and a Mercedes back to back to back, they are different cars. I'm not saying they're different cars, duh, idiot, because it says something different on the back. I'm saying they feel <laughs> different behind the wheel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So what is BMW's personality if it isn't concerned about this needs to feel like an enthusiast car underneath all the other under, underpinnings? I mean, if Porsche did that, it'd be the same kind of thing. You know, we talk a lot about Porsche, but we talk about the fact that they're trying to do a Porsche feeling even in things like the Cayenne and the Panamera. They're worried about what is our brand mm-hmm. identity. Yeah. And this feels like BMW is worried about how many cars can we sell, which – has worked for Toyota and many others, but we all look back kind of longingly on Toyota when they used to be an enthusiast brand, and now they sell toasters. Right. You know, you know I, that's, it's an interesting move. I'll be very curious to see who, what is BMW's identity if they leave the enthusiast market as a, as a, not a focus, focus is the wrong word, but as an influencing factor, I feel like, that exists in their lineup. I'm going to continue to stand on the soapbox over here of Uh-oh. car manufacturers in the future will either build all the i3s and the i8s and pick a number for BMW, and they're mm-hmm. going to be mm-hmm. autonomous and electric and amazing and over here, and then all the SUVs will be, you know, they're going to automatic transmissions here, and they're, they have to, they just have to build lightweight, stripped-down, manual transmission, simple, clean, fun-to-drive cars that don't have any of this other technology. Mm-hmm. And I almost think that every car manufacturer is going to have to differentiate themselves and do something similar. Not every manufacturer, I guess, but the Hondas that have mm-hmm. racing heritage and the, you know, the S2000 that we love dearly, the Toyotas that have racing history. I mean, yeah. BMW especially, give us a lightweight, beautiful roadster that's just a manual transmission and a steering wheel. Hotcakes, hotcakes, really. I feel well, like you've brought this up before. Both can and exist is, in your garage. You can, yeah. you can have the amazing car, you know, autonomous, electric, whatever that is. And this is the fun thing right here. The, the transportation device and the car you drive for fun. Yeah, I see where you're going. Yeah, and and you know we, you've talked about this before, and wondering about which brands and what brands, and will there be any brands that will decide to to attack both avenues at once? 
you know, the, the person that is, and, and I say this, I, we use this derogatory a lot talking about cars as appliances, but if we go to autonomous pods, that is what they are. So if you're yeah. a car maker, can you make an, an appliance and can you make a passion project and sell both simultaneously with nothing in the middle? And you know what it, it kind of reminds me of, and this is not an exact uh, comparable, but kind of reminds me of in the 70s, when 60s, 70s, when European and Japanese cars that were tiny were coming to the U.S. and sitting alongside some of the largest sheet metal that had ever been on the American road. You have two completely different kinds of vehicles being sold side by side and side by side on the roads. I'm wondering, can that divergent reality exist again with the autonomous pods over here next to the guy and his manual transmission only naturally aspirated <laughs> convertible next to here's the family in a pod can we be that divergent on the same roads i don't know i love the concept but i'll be really curious to see what happens i do too i'm thinking of the porsche 356 the bathtub sure yeah how about the future generation of that car it's just mm, simple mm. It's not the fastest thing on the planet. It, as stupefyingly fast and mind-bendingly brilliant as Porsches are. <laughs> I know. You heard it here first. Paul's actually on a Porsche rant. <laughs> a a pro-Porsche rant is shocking on this show, but it's happening tonight. Yeah. How about a 356? Mm. Not, you know, not just remake what it is. I know what you but mean. I know what you mean. Next a resurgence of that as the new one. Something yeah. that's just so simple and fun and brings the fun of driving back. So Porsche does that. BMW does a simple, clean roadster. Honda does a simple, clean roadster. You know, we've got these cars that, you know, in the GT86 category that are just small and fun and lightweight and all this yeah. stuff. And they're, they're few and far between, but okay, but rabid following. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, you know, we, we do it to ourselves, though, as enthusiasts, because we rant and rave for where is this car? Where is this enthusiast car? The, the FRS is a great example. How long have we talked about, and I say we as like a collective world of people that like cars, I wish Toyota would make something that's got passion. I wish Toyota mm -hmm. would make a focused yeah. driver's car. That was the refrain for the better part of a decade or more before the 86 dropped. And then the 86 dropped, yeah. and guess what? Some people went out and bought them. To the tune of a few thousand cars. And then what did the enthusiast at large do? And I'm pointing the finger right at myself because this is what I did too. I, I'm not immune. I am, I am the president of this problem. <laughs> I waited until they were used and I bought a used one. Yeah. But that doesn't encourage Toyota to make cars like this. No. So if, no. we, if the market starts to splinter like this, we're going to first off, A, have to demand that we'd like to do this. And then we're going to have to go buy these cars so that they actually exist beyond one generation. I mean, I'll be very surprised if the 86 actually survives into another generation. I know they've done the facelift, but I mean, generation two, I'll be a little shocked if that actually goes forward because I just don't know when they make the numbers work. And this divergent automotive reality we're talking about, that would be cool, actually. I just hope that we as enthusiasts embrace that and buy those cars if they exist. Yeah, that's the thing. We've got to buy them. We can rant about it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and say, oh, okay, well, phew, they're available. 
I didn't buy one, but at least they're yeah. making them. They're available. Well, yeah. that's not far enough. I take your point. Why isn't that automaker making that anymore? Because no one bought it. Yeah. We all said we wanted it. It came out. We didn't buy it in mass, and so they didn't make it anymore. Meanwhile, why are they making more Corollas? Because they can't make them fast enough. <laughs> exactly. I hate to say this. I, I, oh. Anyway, I, there's two other questions here that kind of relate to this. One of them is uh, James Parson asking about, he said he just drove talking about older cars and talking about driving feel, just drove a five-speed 97 Civic. Just happened to drive one. Oh, yeah, right. I'm looking And found here. it kind of revelatory. He just was like, "What? where has this gone? He felt like the car was light and nimble and engaging and fun, and you're, you're hitting Honda in their golden age, if you, if you will. I mean, that was when Honda was killing it. I mean, come on, that's right before the S2000 debuted. I mean, that Honda was doing great stuff then anyway, but he's asking... What's happened? Where did, as he describes it, where did the magic go hmm. in, a, in, a, in, a, in more modern cars? And James, I'm going to tell you in one sentence, it's about the weight. Yeah. That, that, that car, I looked it up. That car was roughly on either side, depending on spec, right around 2,500 pounds. Let me put that in perspective for you. Modern cars at 2,500 pounds, here is your list. The Miata weighs a little less. The FRS weighs a little more. The uh, 4C weighs almost exactly the same, and the Lotus weighs less. That's your list. I'm now done. Oh, oh, sorry. The Fiesta ST is 2,700 pounds. These, these are the cars we're talking Gosh. about. And the thing about all those cars I just brought up, what do we say about those cars? They're fun to drive. They feel electric. Weight is the enemy of driving feel. It just is. So, I mean, mm-hmm. we've driven the monster that is the GTR on a few occasions. And that car is a world beater, but it feels heavy, and that somehow shields you from the magic of what it's doing. Now, I'm not saying I want to drive a you know 700 horsepower, 2,500 pound GTR; it would kill us all. But the the thing that you're <laughs> For you're recognizing here, yeah, frightening. The, yeah, that's not happening. The thing that you're recognizing here, James, I think begins and ends with the difference in weight, because a modern Civic is going to weigh almost a thousand pounds, not necessarily, but somewhere in the neighborhood of a thousand pounds more than that one from '97, due to safety regulations and stuff we demand in our cars. I agree, James. If you think that feels pretty crazy fun, drive a '91 Honda CRX. I dare you. Ooh, ooh, yeah. I, I liked the styling. It was the second-gen CRX. I mm-hmm. really, really liked these cars. I still think they look good. Talk about a lightweight car. I'm going to go to manufacturing. And in a constant okay. quest for improving manufacturing speed and technique and cost savings, companies go to modular designs for everything. Because yeah. older yeah. cars, the way they had to manufacture them and people who had to put them together – is a less automated process. And so design factors in, materials, all that kind of stuff. And so all this has marched forward 20, 30 years. And we find ourselves with you know more regulation, as Todd mentioned, but the manufacturing processes have changed so dramatically. It's not as it's not the same anymore. It's not I mean, A pillars are thicker just Absolutely. for safety. That Absolutely. CRX, look at the CRX. Look at the Acura Integra from 1988. It's like a fishbowl. <laughs> the the right. A and You're B and C right. pillars, well, it doesn't have B pillars, but they're they're wafer thin. They're wafer thin. Anybody? Let's Joke? Uh, Joke? It's wafer thin. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm telling you, they're, they're just and, – and thick pillars now. You look at 
just about any car, and the pillars are massive, even small sports cars. And so safety regulations and crumple zones and mm-hmm. you know material mm-hmm. usage and all that kind of stuff has just further embedded itself and manufacturing. That's where it's yeah. it's gotten lost, I feel like. But and to make that lightweight car, you've got to really get back to this. You know what? It's not going to be quite as automated, maybe. Well, and, and let's be honest. It's not going to be quite as safe. I mean, those big, right. thick A and B pillars have got airbags in them now. Right. You know? And and your seat and your door panel. And there's airbags all over. Welcome right. to wait. Yep. So cars are cars are much safer than they were 30 years ago. But as a result, they are also much heavier. And we're demanding things like our Bluetooth and our heated seats and our welcome to wait on every single one of these items. The the Lotus Elise, you go, that weighs 2,000 pounds. You open the door and you go, why does it weigh 2,000 pounds? Shouldn't it weigh 1,500? I mean, there's nothing in it, okay? This is a car that they stopped selling in the U.S. because they didn't have a way to do two-stage airbags. The airbag regulation changed, and Lotus went, I'm sorry, we're just out. We we, yeah. we got nothing. Yeah. So th- this, is a, this is the reality. that you, There is a trade-off. You go lighter, you typically go less safe. So, uh, you know, th- all of these are factors, but weight is the enemy for sure. Danger is our middle names, apparently. <laughs> Speaking of that, actually, did you see <laughs> – nice segue, <laughs> accidental, but nice. Did you see uh, Johan's question on Twitter? I'm going to answer this with one word. Do you always drive fast? He, he describes, not reckless, but do we always drive fast just re- wherever we're going? Work, grocery store, picking up the kids? Yes, is the short answer. Yes, yes, I do. Yes, I I have proven that. Yes, it's... <laughs> You've proven it recently. Proven uh-huh. it recently. I just got caught. I mean, you know, it's like the ref. Yeah. If the referee doesn't see it, it's not illegal, right? <laughs> Terrible. speaking. Terrible. We are bad influences. Yes. <laughs> what else do you have? Ah, uh, what else? Oh, um, Omar is writing to us from just outside Tangier, Morocco... Asking us why we never recommend motorcycles for listeners who want a vehicle to commute, sunny weather, do Mm -hmm. lane splitting in L.A. And he commutes on a bike daily and drives a car only occasionally. And I I get that. I mean, Africa, North Africa, Europe, pretty much the rest of the world except for the U.S. and Germany. Well, Germany, you ride scooters and bikes too. Anyway, the point is (sighs) motorcycling is – inherently dangerous and with the speeds that you can generate i have worked for a motorcycle company kawasaki i was a designer Mm -hmm. for them and i spent a lot of time riding and i went up and up and up i i think you've heard me tell this story many times but in terms of displacement i rode cruiser bikes and then went up you know i started with 650s and then 750s and 900s 1100s 1200s 1300s i just it kept getting faster and I just stopped. <laughs> it was an addiction, yeah. It yeah. really was. And so, yeah, I, I, um, we never really talk about it because cars are our first love. We love four wheels and the dynamics in cars first. Not to mm-hmm. say that bikes aren't fun, but – No, not at all. In, in North America, I will say it's less prevalent than the rest of the world. We drive cars longer distances and spend more time in them. The bikes, even in L.A., a place like that, or San Diego, mm-hmm, or the warm mm-hmm. climates, there's just far fewer people who choose to ride motorcycles and scooters than there are people who drive cars. It just is a reality for us. And that's why we don't really talk about it that much, even though it is fun. Yeah. And, you know, when you go to Europe, you 
get a scooter. I mean, it's just what you do. It's so much fun. Um, and and I, think, I think there's another factor here. And he brought up L.A., so let's talk L.A. for a minute. And I will tell the joke that I've told many times when people ask about bikes in Los Angeles because I knew multiple people that commuted through the time of working in the film industry. I knew multiple people that commuted in L.A. on a bike. And you even did it some, Paul. Oh, yeah. yeah, but, yeah. but everyone I knew that commuted on a bike – with regularity, like for a long period of time, they all, I'm not kidding, had a story that started this way. So the first time I got hit. Yeah. Now, now there's layers of problems with that story. <laughs> Unpack that the, with your therapist, yeah, right? Exactly. The first time you got hit, suggesting, therefore, there have been multiple, and you just want to tell me one story. In Los Angeles, yes, people can split the lane, but I was one of the only people that I ever saw while driving a car that when I saw somebody coming up the lane, I would tuck away. In, I would tuck away from them, giving them more space, especially in like a stop-and-go situation. I got a ton of thumbs up from bikers because they never saw that. Because most of the time in Los Angeles, nobody even notices them. They don't see them. Yeah, exactly. People in Los Angeles can be really bad drivers, especially when commuting, because they are so absorbed in their own world and the place they need to get to, they're not even paying enough attention to other cars, let alone <laughs> the guy coming up at twice their speed splitting the lane. I have seen guys get hit. I like motorcycles. I genuinely do. I, I rode some in college. I rode some of the ones that Paul borrowed. I like them. I find them almost impossible from a safety perspective to recommend for people that are in American cities. Mm-hmm. Now, I know there are those of you that disagree with me already. For those of you that just want to have a fun cruiser bike, it's not really our thing. I don't know that I could properly recommend the right bike to you, but I do get it. Mm-hmm. However, yeah. can I make my rant real quick? Absolutely. I, I don't want to stop you. <laughs> I'm sorry to all of you listening. No, here's my only rant about bikes, though, as, as bikes to drive for fun. If you're on a bike that doesn't actually handle very well and you have a stereo that I can hear for a mile before you got here and a mile after you went past, do you know what you need? You need a car. <laughs> As long as it's, it's Mariah it's, Carey it's, blasting out of those speakers. I just – there is – if you want to ride a fast sport bike fast, you want to do – I get that. You can't get that level from a car. I get it. If you want to cruise along slowly, not taking corners quickly and listen to your stereo, get a car. <laughs> There's my rant. But that hopefully educates uh, the uh, the bike discussion. Do you see Miles writing into us asking, which would you rather drive? I, I always did. love that. Which did. would you rather – a Viper-powered Prius, good, mm-hmm. or a Hellcat-powered Kia Soul, better. I mean, your mind would melt just hearing the noise of a Hellcat engine coming out of the toaster that is the Soul. Yes, and and he said I, he's assuming melt. that he's assuming that in both cases the, we've joked about the Prius thing before. He's assuming that in both cases, it's been figured out technology-wise that these are now rear-wheel drive, six-speed manuals. You're going Hellcat Kia, I guess. Totally. Hellcat uh, I, Kia? I'm going, I'm going Viper Prius. Are you really? Okay. That is completely counter to its reason for being. <laughs> it I, is. I, li- I like it Hellcat is. Kia a lot, and I actually think Dodge could create a cool little badge. That's a Hellcat Kia badge. But the, it is so counter to the Prius's reason for being. And while we're remaking the car, I'd rip out the seats and put in, like, full racing seats. <laughs> so, you, so you see this Prius shell, and then you go, what is that car for? Because its entire reason for existence has been blown away by the fact that it is now rear-wheel drive with a V10 in it. Yes, sir. <laughs> that's my choice. <laughs> 
Well, you know how the Kia design element, they call the front grille the tiger nose, the, the tiger nose uh-huh. styling. So instead of a tiger, it's now the Hellcat. <laughs> okay. All right. Is it Just the Hell Tiger? No, it's not working either. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Thank you for that, though, Miles. I'm very glad you asked that because uh, I, I had noted it as well. Uh, did you see Liam's question? Mm, where Liam's question is Liam's question is hard. Liam on Twitter wrote in and said, "If we had to own one car for the rest of our life, out of the cars we've already driven, so cars we've personally driven, we could have one car that we own for the rest of our life, never have any other cars. What would that be?" Oof. Oof. Incredibly difficult question, Liam. I have two possibilities that I think might make it work for me. Oof. Because I'm trying to think about yeah, isn't it hard? This trying is to think hard. about yeah, you've got to have a little bit of storage space for a few, few things now and then. Yeah, but but you know, and and I do have a son and a dog, and okay, so I probably need more than two seats. I hate to say that, but I probably do. Hmm. Um, this is difficult. I have two. Here are my choices out of cars I've driven, and a forever car. You're asking me a forever car. It is. I, Honestly, Liam, I can't say that I would ever do that. But you've asked the question. It's a great theoretical, so here are my answers. Either Lotus Evora 400 Ooh, or BMW 1M. Yeah. Those are cars I think I would always enjoy driving, but if I was driving in less than stellar driving conditions, I think I would still enjoy being in them. And because of the quasi-back seats... You get some little bit of usability storage space out of it. Obviously, the 1M more so than the Avora. But neither of these are exactly minivans. So um, those are my current forever car choices. Because hmm. I even thought, you know, how much I love driving the 997 GT3 RS 4.0 that we drove. Amazing yeah. car. Yeah. But only car? Like, only car forever? I mean, it's one of those cars that if you told me tomorrow you want an hour with that car, but yes, I'll, I'll take 10 minutes with that car. When, where, where am I meeting you? Yeah, no that, kidding. It's, one of, it's, it's on a massive shortlist car to drive. But the forever car, very difficult. I couldn't go with that one as much as I love it. So Gosh. those are my choices. You're asking me to compromise in a big way, Liam. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In a huge way. And I want to say 911. I desperately do. But I'm not going to. Okay. I'm going to say M3. Interesting. Which which one? It's current? probably the current F80. Okay. All right. I, I All feel right. like it's the current just because the well-roundedness compromise mm-hmm. aspect of the car. Trunk, back seats, still fun, yeah. trackable, fast, yeah. good-looking, where you're all going. those things. Uh, yeesh. <laughs> this is hard. The, the real answer is, Liam, is I can't do that. I'm sorry. But we're trying. We are trying. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, to, uh, to wrap things up here, I want to talk about Jordan's question here, asking us if we've let a negative stigma associated with owners of a certain car, or I think mm. you mean a certain brand. Sure. Yeah. That keeps us from suggesting this car to someone or for owning ourselves. To be honest, Jordan, I never have. I've always thought that um, hoonigans and hooligans and all those, you know, you can associate bad drivers with any kind of car, really. Certainly, certainly. And sure, there's the typical groups. We can all name stereotypes and all that kind of stuff. We can all name that off. 
but I'm not going to recommend it for dynamics. I mean, BMWs, you could just say, oh, well, rich yuppies drive BMWs. And, well, no. What Todd and I have always said is you're, you're trying to take the badge off the hood. It's hard when it's Porsche badge, but we're, we're trying to remove that <laughs> and Stop. buy for the best car for uh-huh. your money that gives uh-huh. you the most happiness. And if, you know what, if this certain group of people drives it that you don't like or drives badly or whatever that is, okay. I, you know, you know in your heart that you didn't yeah. buy it for those reasons. Yeah. You bought it for the engineering qualities or the driving dynamics qualities or the styling or whatever that is. So I don't think Todd and I really do that. I mean, we acknowledge that, you know, it exists and we've talked about mm-hmm. it in, in various mm-hmm. uh, various points in time here. But no, we're we're always looking at, well, you know what? You could say that all 911s are Hollywood producers and they just bought it because it's expensive. Well, no, they're actually quite fun to drive and amazing cars. You know, they're well built. Or you name a car, the Lexus anything Whatever. or yeah. the Mercedes S-Class or on and on and on. We could go any which direction, but I would say no. We've never let this stigma because bad drivers happen in any kind of car. We know this, right? We know this. Yeah, I mean, in, gen- in general, in general – that's the thing. You and I are talking about what's the best car badge irrelevant, you know, because, yes, automakers have history and they have baggage and good and bad. Yeah. But we want to be badge irrelevant. I would I would say one of the only cars that gets close to this for us is actually the Corvette because yeah. we, do, we yeah. do make a lot of fun of the traditional Corvette buyer. It's a which lot of is fun the, to make fun which, of that. Which, which is the retired guy the driving way. along in the middle lane slowly. And, I mean, it's the, yeah, just cruising along and not aware that his car can do more than that or acting like he ever could. That is, unfortunately, the stereotype of the Corvette. However, the C7, I would recommend to anybody. Right. Absolutely. So it's one of those things, like you're saying, you have to know the stigma and be aware of it and then run counterculture. Who cares? It's a great car. Yeah, that's so a great example, actually. Yeah, that that those are definitely the thing we try to do. We wanna we wanna nod to it so that if you're a buyer, you know, hey, this exists, but that doesn't mean don't get it. Go mm-hmm. get that car. You you like it? Buy it. Absolutely. Although I will touch on Mustangs. If you own a Mustang, try to avoid the urge to do a burnout when you're leaving cars and coffee. Just just. Try to avoid well, but, that urge. But it's but you saw the the recent thing where it where it happened to a Dodge owner as well. So it's I not, did. It's not did. only Mustang thing. It's <laughs> but but it, what we're talking about here is driver upgrades, not car upgrades. If we exactly. all had driver upgrades, you could drive whatever you wanted. That, exactly. Problem right. solved. Yeah. Exactly right. Oh, and and, and here's a here's a here's an uh, actual uh, here's a little public service announcement. As the car begins to go sideways, take your foot off the gas. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. What Once the car is going idea. sideways, how dare you? Yeah. Hopefully you're counter steering, but whether you're counter steering or not, I'm just saying to you, you're starting to lose it. Maybe you should take your foot off the gas. I'm, I'm just putting it out there. Maybe. There's my PSA for the night. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> well, thank you guys. Really, really appreciate all your questions, your comments, for listening, for watching. Don't forget to subscribe. I asked for it last time, but when you're watching our videos, if you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button. Thanks for writing in, as I said, and uh, we're looking forward to talking to you again soon. Cheers, everyone.